Hello, welcome to Business Blues and Booze. My name is Jordan. And my name is Lewis. And today is February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Yeah, you know, go have some fun today. Um, so we got some good stories coming at you. So first up, we're going to be talking about China. You know, so China is having some problems. We're going to be talking China. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg, mm-hmm. and we also got a story about Manchester United, or I'm sorry, Manchester City, gosh, for all you soccer fans out there. Gosh, that's like a sin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do not confuse those, man. That's yeah, not, right. They couldn't be that's more That's actually different. not what so you like to hear wanna, about that. I want to clarify, Manchester City, mm-hmm. the blue guys, the not city the city of Manchester guys. and also Manchester City, the team. So yes. like both of those are important for that conversation. Exactly, but yes. we'll get to that later. Yeah. So first up, Lewis is going to be telling us a little bit about China. Yeah, so, you know, you hear coronavirus on the news all the time, and you're like, what is this disease that involves my coronas and my limes? And it actually has nothing to do with that, surprisingly. Really? Uh, I know, right? So the important thing here is, it is, it is actually a sad thing. I don't want to joke about it too much. Go on the border of joking about it and sad tragedy to an extent, because people are dying. So not something that I want to make too light of, but it's kind of sad what's happening here. In China, I mean, right now, they have these thermometer guns, which they're using to check and see if people have coronavirus. They're using them to scan them. It's like you're scanning a checkout item. And if you're a certain degree, they're like, oh, you have coronavirus. That's how they're determining it right now. That is ridiculous. Isn't it? Isn't that the stupidest thing? Like, I saw that today. That's what, like, my, like, middle school nurse would do. She would scan the <laughs> yeah. thermometer and she'd be like, oh, you have a fever. I guess you have the flu, so yeah. let's just send you home. Yeah. So this is from a New York Times article today, and I, I was just so shocked to, to hear that because I had been doing some research, actually. As you know from this show, I'm very into, into healthcare. So I was doing research on Chinese healthcare, and uh, I wrote a little piece for a class about coronavirus. And the fact is that the country of China has a good enough healthcare system for some things, 95% covered. Uh, their out-of-pocket payments in the past 15 years have fallen 60%, which is great. The problem is uh, half of their doctors don't have bachelor degrees. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, we forget so half, all the So half of their doctors aren't even really qualified to be doing this. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, if you're a doctor in the United States, you go through your bachelor program and then you go to med school. Oh, you, you absolutely have years. to have, like, two degrees on your wall if you're a doctor. I, probably, yeah. And your doctor's absolutely. office, you have to have, they got to be plastered everywhere. And even then, I mean, after four years of med school and then probably, like, another four years of residency, you go in and you're actually a doctor. I mean, all that means is that you can start. That doesn't even mean that you are going to be really that qualified to do a lot of the surgeries. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's eight years of, what, like, clinicals and you have your, you have your, your school schooling you have the actual trials and you do this repeatedly here it's probably because of how many people they have because they still have 2.6 doctors per a thousand people which is right in line with average with their country with the countries around them we've actually we've read some other stories that they're actually building entirely new hospitals just for this just for the virus Mm -hmm. they put up a i think a hospital in a week which is insane. They should talk to Elon Musk because that's really crazy. They need to tell him how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, that's insane that they, they are going so in-depth and so, like, they, I mean, they care, and that's great that they're putting so much money into this. But, I mean, putting, if you have, if you're building, putting all this money into this big health center and you're not putting the right people in it, what good is that health center? Yeah, that's that's the problem is the problem with Chinese healthcare is the doctor. So it's the quality of care. So we talk about the iron, the iron triangle. The quality of the care in China is the problem, and that's why it's so dangerous to have a disease like this. Because if your quality is the worst part, it doesn't matter how much money you throw at this; they're not going to be able to solve. They're not going to be able to cure these people. Yeah. That's why they're putting all their time and effort into curing the coronavirus. And if they do so, it'll make up for all these lost exports over time because they'll be the ones that 
to fix this. Because obviously they have the most patients to sample from, because that's where it started in Wuhan, in China. Yeah. Um, a lot of companies have actually been shutting down. Like I think Starbucks, Apple. Um, there's been some others that I can't think of off the top of my head. But I read an article last week about that. That all these companies are pretty much shutting down and telling their employees, "Don't go in, don't do that." Because I mean, think about it, in Starbucks. You're dealing with you know probably thousands of people a day. You know, handing them the drinks and stuff like that, and they don't want to risk the spread. They don't want it to come back to them. Mm-hmm. So it's just a really interesting kind of take on it all. And all these com- they're not only just losing money on exports, they're losing money on their actual domestic companies. Terrible. Another thing too with these hospitals, a lot of the ones that already existed, not what Jordan was talking about. Uh, people are staying away from the hospitals because they're so they don't want to catch they don't catch this. So two things are happening. One, people who have injuries are staying away from hospitals because they don't want to catch coronavirus. And two, hospitals are not admitting people if they don't have a if they don't have this. They're just so full of these patients. They're like we can't even take if it's less severe than that. If you injured your arm, we've talked about like more or less. They still affect your quality of life, but they're not immediately danger to your health. These people are not being seen right now in China. That's is, absolutely, yeah. that's baffling. I mean, and that's China, it's kind of showing that they're not, they're not as developed as Europe and they're not as developed as the U.S., which you hear all the time, they're growing, they're growing. They have a huge economy, one of the world powers now, but they're still behind us. If we had it here, I'm not saying we'd be perfect. But we've talked about this in class. We have a better system of kind of con- controlling this type of thing. I mean, we already have. We have had a couple of cases in the U.S. Yep. Um, even close to us here in Ohio, mm-hmm. a couple. There was um, actually a scare. There was two people yeah. who they thought had it. it. Came back as negative, but there mm-hmm. was there was a big scare. Mm-hmm. But it's relatively contained. It's it's sad that it hit this region with so many people, and the healthcare system that isn't where it needs to be for the amount of people that they have, and the fact that the doctors themselves aren't qualified. It's a tough situation, so um, thoughts go out to them, but it's difficult, and hopefully they'll start to improve. Maybe they'll get help from outside countries if it gets bad enough. So how, how is the healthcare system in China? I mean, how is it? Like, how, how, how does their health system run, healthcare system run? So it's, it's similar to ours. It's, 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 a, it's a weird combo. It, I, wouldn't, I don't know how I would categorize it because it's not national, but it's also not private. It's kind of where we are, but maybe closer to national. So... After SARS, which was the last major uh, disease outbreak in 2003, they started to issue more of an expanded uh, healthcare role. So that's what drove down the costs um, of out-of-pocket because most of it's being covered from the, the actual country government. Is most of where your coverage is going from. So in how, general, medical expenses also went down 30%. How many people in China are actually covered? 95%. So it's more than the U.S., but less than a country like Canada. So that's why it's like, that's the thing is... You sacrifice uh, some of the quality to get more people covered to an extent, but China's quality is definitely worse than Canada. Um, as I remember, I defended Canadian healthcare last week. Um, essentially, it wasn't really the goal was to defend it, but that's what it kind of sounded like. So I'll just call it that. But um, yeah, so they have more cover than we do, which is a lot of people because they have more than billion. Oh, what is it? More than a billion? Uh, yeah, it's more than people? a billion. I think it's like one point seven. Because there's what, like, like seven point five ish in the world. Yeah. Okay. So I remember them, over seven billion for sure. Them and India both have one yeah. billion. Yeah. Which is okay. crazy. That is that's two countries next to each other that have that's two that's like 
twenty five percent of the country. But I mean, also, the world is right there. But I mean, also, if we're looking at those two countries, we're seeing that they have a major disconnect in terms of the classes of people. You know, the rich are living really nice, but the poor are just—they are yeah. so ungodly poor. Like you hear about slums, you hear about all yeah. these places where they're living in boxes. Like China is nothing to joke about. Mm-hmm. It it really has a very very yeah. bad problem in terms of poor. And I mean they're communists as well, which I yeah. mean that, well, we're not going to touch on that. They're not they're not communists. China? What? They're not communists. Hong Kong isn't. No, they're not communists. So okay, I guess we have to talk about this now. So China's not communist. I don't know if this is this is news. There's only two. There's two communist countries in the world: North Korea and Cuba. Everyone else's economy is at least partially open. So China's been opening their economy in the past thirty years. Yeah. Yes. They're not communists though. Okay. They have some state-run institutions. But they still have private business that's allowed to... There's there's a demand. There's people in the country that have demand. Communism is an economic system. Communism is not a type of government. Yes. They're a dictatorship. That's... Yes, that's true. And a lot of communist, histori- or communist countries have been dictatorships. But it's different because the economic system's opening. There's trade happening. Because before, China wouldn't trade with anyone. That yes. didn't exist. So that's why it's different now. We can get our, our exports from them. Can you imagine a world where China would keep all of its resources? I mean, for one, they'd be producing too much for their own country because everyone buys all the phones they produce, all the technology, because that's a tech hub, because they don't have the labor laws that we do here, so it's cheaper. I mean, that's just how it works. That's a trade-off. Do you want to be a big producer here using people, manual labor? We use a lot of technology. It's not that we become we have less uh, production here. We, of course, we grow production in our country every year. But we use less people. China is still very uh, person labor dependent on all of their resources. But the point here is, yeah, China's not communist. I would say that they're a planned market capitalist economy, which is capitalism with government having some ownership and control over the private institutions. But at the end of the day, the private institutions still own the wealth. The same thing in Russia. Two, obviously the two main former communist countries uh, the USSR and China, both of them were were communist for many decades, but now both of them have transitioned to like a havesies, pretty much, and not a havesies in terms of they redistribute income, havesies in terms of yes, the government has some say in the economy in terms of actual production, which we don't have that in the U.S. That doesn't we, that's why people are like, oh well, Bernie is like a socialist, he 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 calls himself a democratic socialist because he believes in social welfare, which is not the same thing as socialism. I know this is confusing, and that's why it kind of gets filtered through, and it's like, oh, he's a socialist. It, it's not. He's not. It's different. They were different, and China's not communist. But they were communist. Bernie likes social welfare programs. Well, there is still the communist, all, the CPC, the communist um, something of China, the communist people of China. Communist Party of China, my bad, CPC. Yeah. And they're still the main governing body. Yeah, because the thing that happened not, was they got so mainly. intermingled, because it's because in terms of definitions, the economy is communist. The government was a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. Authoritarian. Authoritarian communism make more sense together. Ideally, you're supposed to have a, a pure democracy with communism. But that will never happen because you have to have someone plan the government, like the economy. That's the whole point. So if you have everyone vote on what they want to have produced every year, that's what that would be. That, that was the ideal. To, uh, that's like the Karl Marx ideology was... We need to all agree on what the plan. It's like that. Do you know how long it would take to have a billion people? 
That would take a <laughs> and their economy. Time. But so, I mean, in theory, that would be amazing. Yeah, I mean, in theory, anything, in everything theory. would be amazing in theory. It'd yes, awesome. We could do whatever we wanted, but that's just not how it works. So yeah, a little a little lesson. China's not communist, but their government is paying for part of this insurance, and that's why it's better. But their doctors aren't good because half of them don't have bachelor's degrees. So that's where the issue is, and unfortunately, that's what's affecting China today. So I want to take a second to kind of cut over to our sponsor, Anchor. Thanks for listening, guys. So our next story here is about Mike Bloomberg, a presidential candidate in the 2020 presidential election. He is a Democrat, and you probably have heard of him. He used to be mayor of New York. I want to say he was after Giuliani, so that was maybe... 2005-ish, actually, let's make sure. But he was the, he was two terms, maybe three terms for New York. 2002 to 2013. Okay, so he was right after Giuliani. So Giuliani was still mayor in 2001 for 9-11. Bloomberg took over right after that. And he is a majority owner of Bloomberg LP, a company he founded, which is a pretty much a business software company. That's why he's mm-hmm. a billionaire, is because of that. Um, so he's, he's a smart guy. Uh, very wealthy, that's his MO. But the interesting thing is what he's doing in this election, which is different than anyone has ever done, which is crazy if that can keep happening, but he's honestly different than any other candidate we've had so far. So the reason he's so different is because he's not on the ballot in any of the first four primaries. We've already had Iowa and New Hampshire. Soon we will have Nevada and South Carolina. South Carolina is actually first, but South Carolina and then the Nevada caucus. Kawawina, that's how you Kawa- say it. Kawawina. Kawawina. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, sorry, it's 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 cold season here at Ohio Wesleyan, so we all have something. It's true. You'll hear it in our voices the next couple weeks of episodes. Um, but yes, so uh, he's not on any of those ballots, which is weird because this is how you gain momentum and donations, but he doesn't need that because he has money. <laughs> so he's already spent $300 million on TBS <laughs> so far. <What? laughs> Yes, he since since uh, three hundred million. What month is this? This is February. He started his campaign end of end of last summer, and everyone else started five months before him. So for for comparison, Amy Klobuchar, uh, who's a moderate, and she's gained a lot of momentum from the first two. She had over fifteen percent um, in the first two primaries, which is way better than she was forecasted. She's he's gaining ground. She has five million dollars. Oh my God! He has—he's—he's he's already spent. He doesn't have this. He's already spent three hundred million dollars. Three hundred million. That's insane. And he's polling on a national average right now from the Economist uh, poll they accumulated together in aggregate, sixteen percent. What? Which is second in their poll behind Bernie. So three hundred million's paying off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, here, here's the crazy thing. He could not be on, not get any delegates from any of these. What about, no percentage. What about Pete? And, well, I'll get to Pete. Okay. But my point here is, if he does well on Super Tuesday, which he honestly probably will, he's going to be in first place after being not even on the ballot for a month, which is insane. That's not happened before. That's not how momentum works. Usually, you're Pete, Bernie, and Amy, who got a lot of votes from the first two, and obviously Biden and Warren were underachieving. But they're still in it because there's so many candidates. They're going to get at least 10%. And Joe has really been working hard on South Carolina. So he doesn't get first there. I still can't believe that he's dropped so much. I mean, that yeah. man was really... He was projected to win. Yeah, well, he, people thought he was pulling harder there. But 
the thing is, he's focused a lot on South Carolina. I mean, I, I strongly will stand by this. If he doesn't win South Carolina, like we all think he's going to, because he still he has a ton of support there. Then Lewis has to buy me a case of beer. Yes. If, if he... <laughs> wait. <laughs> wait, wait, huh? <laughs> no, um, if he doesn't get first place, he should drop out of the race. Absolutely. He's spending so much money. Yeah. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he he's not spending $300 million, but he also doesn't have that because he's not a billionaire, so he can't afford to. Um, but yeah, he, he, he's been the darling of the of the moderate centrist, even though he's not really a centrist. I mean, he's just, he's just not Bernie. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. his, that's his defining feature is he's a former Veep uh, of our first black president, and he's not Bernie. So that's the things that people like about him. Um, but yeah, so your question about Pete. So what's interesting about that is... Pete's the kind of guy, he's an, he's not an establishment candidate of a traditional sense because no one knew who he was a year ago, but it's different for him specifically because he's the moderate that's capturing the non-Bernie vote, and everyone expected that to be Biden. But he's younger, and he his platform kind of reaches out to the younger people more. Which, even though it's only, I think, maybe 12% of the electorate, less than 20% of the electorate. Pete also has the uh, potential, I mean, obviously, if he wins, to be the first openly gay president. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's the thing to me, too, is whoever runs against Trump. I mean, you think of, you think of the ads are going to be run against. It's like, do you really want someone to kiss another man to be your president? That's, to- that's totally something Trump Which, would do. Well, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll go after him today. But even <laughs> in general, anyone that runs against him... Because remember, less than, you know, it's, it's only been seven years, if even. It was during Obama that gay marriage became legalized by the Supreme Court, not because of Obama, because of the Supreme Court. It was during his term. That was a case that was brought to them. They were like, you know what, gay people can get married, sure. So that's, <laughs> that was the actual. That was the district. That was the. Uh, that was the official review. Yeah, that was. That was the <laughs> that's what it said. On the court. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, and then obviously Bernie is not only even older than Trump. But he's also Jewish. Mm-hmm. And then Amy's a woman, and he already beat a woman, so I'm sure he's not worried about that. This is a very <laughs> diverse election. It is, but there's no there's no minorities anymore. They've no. all dropped out. Yang! Andrew Yang. Yang dropped out. So Our An- boy. Andrew Yang, I... Again, I'm not saying I would have voted for him, but I'm just saying his I, campaign... I would have voted for him. <laughs> his campaign was really interesting. And something, I mean, out of he had many things he said. But there's one thing he really wanted to do, which was really odd, especially of a presidential candidate. He wanted to just give every American $1,000. He wanted well, to be like... Well, it sounds like free votes, though. It's not that odd. It's like, oh, give he gives me money? Sure. Exactly. <laughs> but, like, I can't, I can't believe that didn't gain more traction. I can't believe that he kind of fell out the way that he did. Well, the interesting thing is... In, in, in lieu of that, is that his policy has lived on, a la Bernie, last 2016. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they make it as far as Bernie, there's more candidates. Maybe in an election with two or three, he would have made a bigger impact. But his policy, now they're saying on CNN, when he dropped out, there is a poll that now over 55% of Americans support UBI. Really? Versus 3% even knew what it was a year ago. That's so he's brought it to the forefront of national television and attention and policy, and it's probably going to be part of Democratic Party platform. So something that I was actually confused about was that he said he suspended his presidential bid. Yeah, that's what that's what they unofficial. That's like the official. I'm ending my campaign. Uh, that's what it means. Okay. Is when you suspend your campaign. I didn't know if that meant that it. he could potentially jump back in if he wanted to. I mean, 
he, he always can, but he's he's not gonna do it. No, definitely. He doesn't. Not. He he said he doesn't want to keep spending money of people's um, when he's not definitely like he's not making traction. It's not worth it. So. I actually listened to his like farewell speech, and it was it was very moving, and it was, he had so much support behind him, and I was glad mm-hmm. to see that he had at yeah. least a bunch of people. Yeah, unfortunately, he was in the single digits of support in the first two. Which is, it was crazy. But yeah, so we, he dropped out. So, mm-hmm. I mean, there's one one less coming at you. And it's looking, yeah. it, more and more, it's looking like Bernie. But here's the thing with Bernie. And this is, this is my opinion, but it's, it's based on facts and past elections. Is that Bernie will not be allowed to win. Even if he gets the majority of the delegates. How will that happen? Because of two things. The superdelegates and the threshold you need. I don't remember the number. Of course, but you need a certain number of delegates in the primaries to get the nomination. We're honestly, we have potential for a broker convention, which is a whole other topic that I don't want to talk about right now. So we're going to do that in a future episode. We'll talk about what a broker convention means, maybe closer to the election if it goes that way. But I want to finish up what we're talking about uh, with Bloomberg, um, because his employees specifically own 2,100 employees. Most of them earn twice what other campaigns pay because he has so much money. So your most talented uh, political operatives will work for him as opposed to the rivals. He's gaining momentum not from the actual elections but from his wealth and his name recognition because he, like Trump, owns a company, well-known, used by a ton of people, a lot of parallels. He's a very different person, but he's also a New Yorker. So pretty much everything about them is similar. And it's interesting to see if we're going to get our billionaire versus anti-billionaire debate, Bloomberg versus Bernie, coming up here. Because Bernie, in an ideal world for him, Bloomberg wouldn't exist. He said that. He said, I don't want any billionaires to exist. So we're going to see where that goes. Which is... Which is... Yeah, that is crazy. I mean, we're not gonna. We could talk about that in another episode. But the way that a lot of billionaires go about their life is really pretty crazy. There's actually an episode on Netflix about it. Mm-hmm. I think it's called Things Explained, and they talk about billionaires. How do they become billionaires? Yeah. How do they actually go about living as billionaires? Mm-hmm. It's really, honestly, pretty crazy. You learn a lot about how they get a lot of tax breaks, how they keep that billion. Yeah. So if you ever get a chance, definitely do some research into actually what makes a billionaire a billionaire and how do they, how do they function. And last thing is, there's a Patriot Act episode uh, with Hassan Minaj about billionaires great, as well. Great show. It is a great show. I, I was, I don't know how I felt about it at first, because I've seen enough of those. There's, they're all the same, in my opinion. When I saw those, like, the political, the funny guy that does the politics, everyone just copied Jon Stewart. Stephen Colbert did it really well. He did. But, and he had his own show, and now he's the late show, which is not as good uh, as... The Colbert Report, to me, was just... That primo, was perfect. That primo was television. Amazing. Oh, so good. But I missed that. Nostalgia right there. But the Patriot Act, it's actually a very good show because he does the thing which I think is better is you're focusing on the content more than the jokes. Of course, he has bad jokes. That's just what that's what they're really like, bad sometimes. Horrible. But but he's he's like a very good automated speaker. laugh bad jokes. Yeah, like I don't mean anyone in the audience laughed at them. Yeah. <laughs> but he's very he he's good at what he does, and it's interesting topics. And there's a good billionaires episode from this past year. Mm-hmm. You should definitely check it out. Absolutely. So we want to move on to our third story here, which is about Manchester City, not United. <laughs> Got it right that time. So real quick, we just want to talk about this. So, um, so Man City was actually banned. So they were banned and had a serious fine by UEFA, which is UEFA. So they were banned for breaching serious financial regulations. And the decision, which is a quote from the New York Times, the decision was announced on Friday 
by the independent control body, UEFA, who honestly is what controls the, the Champions League and stuff like that. So they are the governing body in Europe, and they found that Manchester City had been guilty of multiple violations related to the club's licensing and their so-called fair play rules for financials. So basically what that is saying, UEFA set in a system so that basically the really poor clubs and the really rich clubs had some set of middle ground that, you know, obviously the really rich clubs are not always going to be able to spend all the money that they have. So um, Man City was actually fined 30 million euros, which is 32.5 million U.S. dollars. And something that I thought was absolutely ridiculous, and I just, I laughed when I saw it, was that Man City came back and they wrote a tweet in response, and this is actually directly from their website. It's on the Man City uh, website, a club statement. And it says that Man City is disappointed, but not surprised by today's announcements by the UEFA uh, chamber. So I just thought that was pretty funny that they came (laughs) out and they were like, yeah, you know, we messed up. We knew it was coming. (laughs) I just thought that was really, really kind of yeah, funny. It's kind of what happened with the Astros, which we should another podcast topic potentially future the Houston Astros cheating scandal, probably the biggest scandal in baseball in twenty years since the steroid era. But they also, all of them were like, "Yeah, we shouldn't have done that." <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I hate and I love how how in sports you have people that obviously cheat or in this, it's not really cheating in this case, but whatever they have an advantage and they're just like. Yeah, we deserve to not have that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's like, oh, well, then why'd you do it's it? Like, sure, that's great. Thanks, guys. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for being transparent. Yeah, thank you. Um, so yeah, UEFA really kind of came down on them for this, and it's actually the first really serious fine that they have done in basically a decade. And I thought that was really, I mean, good for them for penalizing them because it really isn't fair. But so. It's really kind of complicated because right now, with it all kind of coming up, Man City is actually second in the Barclays Premier League, which is basically the main professional league in Europe. So they're a really, really successful club. I mean, they've had a lot of uh, scandals before and stuff, and they've had a lot of um, not fair play, and some of their fans have made some un- unkind words to other fans and other players and stuff. But this is this is the first real penalization that we've seen come to that club. Um I'm an Arsenal fan, full disclosure. So, you know, I was kind Ew. of happy. Yeah, I know. What is that? You know, I'm also a Jets fan, so I think I've suffered enough in this life. <sighs> a gross, okay? <laughs> yeah. Like a gross sports fan. Yeah, really. And he likes the Bruins, too. I do like the Bruins. It doesn't mean we're not, we're not going to get into that right now. But, <laughs> yes, I like the Celtics and the Bruins and the Jets gross and the Yankees. New Jersey and trash. Likes, just likes trash. That's the- yep, yep. Com- <laughs> coming from the Steelers fan over here. Hey, hey. And the, and the Pirates fan. You know... There's a difference between between trash and like feeling bad for a bad team, and I think that I'm on the feeling bad for a bad team, and you're on the trash side. Really? That's how I feel about the it. Jets. Are, I feel bad for the Jets every year because they actually do okay, and then they just they're called gangrene. You know, they do okay, yeah. and then they just somehow mess it up, and mm-hmm. it's like, how do you do this? <laughs> I would say that the Steelers before this past year, if you hate them, I'm like, all right, I kind of hate them too because I, I hated Le'Veon Bell. I thought he was and just, like Roethlisberger. And the whole scandal I and everything. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of his either. I will say that I his say good play like the over the years thing. has kind of has made it a little better, which is <laughs> bad to say. But that's just how sports works, which is again bad and you know an ethical dilemma that we will we'll talk about probably someday. And we too. have talked about with and Professor Flynn. Yes. So if you ethics. guys actually want to hear, it's about a 50 minute episode with Professor Flynn. We talked about ethics and sports, and we mm-hmm. talked about football, yeah. the UFC, a mm-hmm. bunch of different sports, and basically how yeah. a lot of them are unethical. And we raise a question: Are we unethical for watching them? Mm-hmm. 
So obviously, if you get a chance, listen to that. Really, probably one of our best episodes we've done. Yeah, but we've, we've started talking about sports. You know, yeah, we're good. So that, that's what happened today with Man City. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was pretty pretty impactful, and we're definitely going to see a big change in the Champions League. And honestly, we're very excited to see kind of what does actually happen here with Man City, and also kind of see the precedent that they've said to these other clubs. So stay tuned for a lot of that stuff, and we'll cover this more if there is anything else coming on about it. So now, guys, it's time for your favorite section of the podcast, the blues section As of in the podcast. business blues and booze. And not things that are the color blue. This is about the music. <laughs> okay, so, there are a lot in this room, and it's, it's hard to hold back the temptation to list all of them. But we're not going to do that today. We're hopefully, please, dear God, not. <laughs> um, <laughs> so first up, I would like to give my recommendation. Go for it. So I will be recommending... Tin Pan Alley, a.k.a. Mm. Roughest Place in Town, by Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah. Stevie Ray Vaughan brought back the blues in the 80s. He did. He was a big revivalist of that. And mm-hmm. he, honestly, Stevie Ray is a big inspiration for me in my, my playing, my music, my music theory. I study him a lot. He is mm. very, very incredible and one of the best guitarists of yeah. all time, by far. Him and Clapton are so similar. And they just And Hendrix just well, go the, about it in different ways. I, I cut you off before. I, I shouldn't have said they're similar because... They're not similar in terms of, of that. Hendrix is not similar guitar playing style. Clapton and, mm-hmm. and Stevie are. I, I thought you were going to say that they're the two best guitarists. Well, well Clapton was actually the inspiration the for Jimmy. If you read I've read, yeah, I yeah. did a whole dissertation on Jimmy, and it was basically, I mean, I wrote 50 pages of this, and there was probably 10, 10 of them. Yeah, probably 10 of those pages 50. were his roots and how he played with Clapton, how he, he just, he loved them. He loved them. He did, yeah, so, yeah, my point was going to be that Stevie might have been the best technical guitarist for blues, and I mean Clapton's close, but people have said that about him. He's very, I mean, listen to any of his stuff, it's very, very good. Uh, but Jimmy was the best, just pure talent. He can shred anything. Yeah, Jimmy. Jimmy was not punctual. He was not like Eric Johnson. You ever listen to like Cliffs of Dover? He plays every note deliberately. Like he has practiced that a million times. It's it's honestly incredible to watch and listen to. It's just like wow, this dude is just he knows what he's doing. And then you listen to like Jimmy, and it's just like it, it slides. It's not clean, but it's raw. It's just raw talent, raw power coming out yeah. of that guitar and out of his voice. And I mean, Stevie has like a little bit of that, and he's got a little bit of the punctualness, and he's got a little. He's just got some soul. You know, he has like that BB King approach to like a rock blues mix. You know, where he's just singing about some like hard stuff, but he's just talking. He's just he's just telling a story, which is all that the blues really is. And I, I love every every song he has, and I'll definitely recommend more of Stevie Ray. Yeah. So we'll now back, we'll come back to him. Yeah. Maybe I'll pick one out sometime. We could trade. Yeah, we'll trade off. Sure. Know? So my song this week was written by Otis Rush in 1958, a Chicago blues guitarist. It's called All Your Love, I Miss Lovin'. And it was popularized in the 60s, again, by Clapton. But it wasn't just him. It was John Mayall and the Blues Breakers. What's the song name? All your love, I miss loving. That's so fitting for Valentine's Day. It is. You're welcome, everyone. All of your love, I miss loving. <laughs> All your love, I miss loving. All of you guys. Um, but it's it's a blues standard. I mean, it's a blues song through and through. You have opening riff. It has a little Clapton like at the beginning, uh, and then it just he just rips the guitar. It sounds like he's tearing the strings, and <laughs> that sounds bad, but it sounds good. So just go listen to it, and it's great. Stevie Ray has also done an edition of this in the 80s, All Your Love and Miss Lovin'. Uh, all the versions are very good. It's just a very well-written song. And, again, it's another one of those 
I miss you, baby songs. Because that's what the blues is. It's, it's about missing you. I miss you, baby. I'm blue. <laughs> um, but, yeah, great song. Uh, Clapton does a great solo in the song. But, again, it's John Mayall and the Blues Breakers was the band. He was a featured guest on that album. And it was in this 1966 was the year. It's a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Long time ago. So now, guys, true. we're going to move into the... Yeah, absolutely true. We're going to move into the next segment, the booze segment yes. of our podcast. So Lewis, we, take it away. We disagree today. Are you going to let me do it? You have it. <laughs> so I'm going to... I'm recommending this for two reasons. One, because I like it, and two, because Jordan can drink it or else he'll swell up. It's true. I'm allergic. So the drinking question is Truly's, which is, as you know, uh, a spark... Not a spark. It's a spark. Damn. It's electric. It's a, it's a spiked seltzer. I can't remember the word. Hard seltzer. Um, and it's delicious. It's my favorite one. And it's compared yeah. to White Claw. And, yeah, of course, there's Jordan's sipping on a, a Bud Light seltzer right now, which is the worst one. We've, I, we've I already covered that, and he broke his promise. And I talked and said it was horrible, and I'm drinking it. I, <laughs> I honestly, I he, should quit. He, he broke his oath to not drink that garbage. I'm suspended until Monday. Yeah, so he can't do any more recommendations. Until uh, Monday, but if you if you could <laughs> if until you, our next episode, if you could though, what would you what would you say? If I could recommend something, um, I know that White Claw just came out with a new variety pack. I have not had it, but I'm very excited for it. So I'm not going to make a recommendation based on that. Mm-hmm. But I am very excited. Excited. To it's that. like the up and coming. Maybe next week we'll talk about it. But again, I don't want to talk about hard seltzer every week. It's yeah. a Friday. We were kind of being lazy. I like Trulies. Oh, hey, we're going to talk so about we go. seltzer for like the third time. But So this new uh, White Claw variety pack, it has mango, it has tangerine, it has lemon and watermelon. So, I mean, obviously it sounds good. It could either go really good or really bad. I mean, we've seen some other companies try and do flavors and it doesn't always turn out so well. But I'm excited to try it. I'm excited to mm-hmm. kind of go out and get that. So we'll give a recommendation on that maybe next week or the yeah. coming weeks. And we are still moving on forward with our interview with Dr. Jay Martin, who is the winningest coach of men's soccer for any division for all of college. So we will be getting that coming in soon. We just have some scheduling conflicts, but obviously stay tuned for that. We're super, super excited. We're not liars. It'll happen. Yeah. (laughs) um, On top of that, we also have another one coming up with Glenn Bryan, who is a business professor, um, adding on to our professor series. So first will be Dr. Jay Martin and then Glenn Bryan. Glenn Bryan is probably one of my favorite people that i've met at this school absolutely he's <laughs> and he's a he's a pure capitalist he loves business and i'm sure he'll make sure all of you know that absolutely <laughs> he, he might hold back a little bit but you know he no, is he, he, he is a great no, guy he he's got great he great views he has a just a great he does a great he's overall very well mentality person. on this stuff so, so i'm ex- very excited to have him on the show for you guys to hear him yeah. great so we're excited for this professor series to kind of take off a little more and you know we're excited to hear back from you guys so if you guys have any thoughts if you liked an episode you didn't like it you want to hear more stuff uh shoot us out on instagram uh business underscore blues underscore booze um so you know we really look forward to hearing back from you guys and thanks for tuning in today happy valentine's day happy valentine's day be with your loved ones or if not just have a good time yeah because it's friday night and that's what it's about it's all about you guys you know galentine's day also as well fratentine's so. day fratentine yeah whatever whatever you want to call it just have a great time today it's friday my dude so just yeah. have at it live life so i'm jordan i'm lewis and this is business blues and booze have a great night everybody